Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. In the, in the three-verse list of names, aside from the fact that Benjamin gets brought in earlier, and maybe we could look at it in terms of which children are born to whom, right. there's one interesting Hebrew letter I find. Well, the, the second sin, unpronounced Yisachar, is always interesting, but it's not any more interesting in this mentioning of Yisachar than any others. Is it, the, which vav? Right. The vav in front of Venaftali is very interesting, only because it doesn't. One of these things is not like the other. So you have three verses. The first two verses have um, have uh, names where the it's only the last word, last name in the verse that gets the vav. Ruvain, Shimon Levi, Vihuda. Right. Yisachar Zvulun, Uvinyamin. Dan Venaftali, God Asher. So the pattern would have expected the last verse to be Dan Naftali, God Vasher. You can imagine how easy it is for Avav to appear or disappear in transmission of, of manuscript, but it's interesting to me that that Vav is there, and I don't think you can easily explain it based on motherhood, right? Although I always forget whose mother was whose. Did anyone have the, have the list in front of them as to whose mother was whose? Are Don and Naftali the only two children of a particular mother? I don't think so. No. Or, 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 um, no, those are all the... Right. the so that's an interesting thing that uh, we, we don't have to like linger on, um, but it's there, and it's, it was clearly there a very long time ago because Uncleus has it also. Right. I think those are the two that are born after the whole mandrakes thing. Don Vanaftali in particular are born after the mandrakes? I think those are the last two of the players. Uh-huh. I could be Uh-huh. Right, and, and the, the Benjamin placement is interesting because it doesn't suggest any kind of biological order. Um, she became, uh, their, their mother became his foster mother after Rachel's death. Make sense. Sorry. I'm uh, sorry. I was just saying if the I always forget Bilha and Zilpa. Anyway, Rachel's handmaiden is the mother of Yitzchak and Zevulun, and if Vinyamin, as Midrash has it, became her, if she took him as her child after Rachel died. Then that grouping of three makes sense. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Wouldn't it ordinarily be enough telling you to do it? Bumaf. Bumaf. Bet, Vav, Mem, and Pe are the letters. If they begin a word, then the Vav in front of it is an U and not a V. Not, not a Nun. Bet, ma, bet that, and the, and the um, mnemonic is Bumaf. Oh, because it seems like there are several Nun words that get U, like Unasanin. And if there's a Shvanach, Shvana on the on the first letter of any other of any letter. So if if a if a word begins with a shvana, a word has to be with a shvana. There's no way to. That's why if a word begins with a shva, it's by definition a shvana. You can't have two shvanas in a row. You can't have uh, uh in a row. So then you can't have v, and then a word begins with a shvana. So therefore, any word that begins with a shvana, the, the shva that has sound becomes an u. But it's also the case for words that begin with bet, vav, mem, or pe. Not lamed. <laughs> Not lamed. Oh, okay. No. Alexandra. So this is my um, strange thing, but I was thinking that maybe 
To suggest that, well, that's an interesting comment, particularly with the Rashi that we may or may not get to today. That you're saying that they went down. If I if I'm reading, if I'm extrapolating what you're saying, they went down to Egypt as these people, unchanged, the true Israelites that they were in the land of Canaan. Is that what you're saying? Um, Or maybe it's not what you're saying. Yeah, I was say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, then say it. No, nothing's stopping you. I don't have perspective. Um, that while they were in Egypt, they maintained an and that is through recounting of this story. I see. Got it. And doing so with some kind of, I don't know, perhaps a new brutality and recounting the story. Got it. So, so, so the, the experience that the Israelites are about to have, including the, the, the degradation that will eventually lead to their liberation, they maintain themselves as Am Yisrael by retelling and retelling and retelling and retelling the story, and therefore the Torah is, is showing us that in form. Alan, before you sit down, can you just close that door because it's yeah, open? Yeah. Thank you. It's just the sound from the lobby flows in. Leonard. This a little offbeat over here, but this is kind of reminiscent of the atonement service on Yom Kippur. If you look at the numbers over here, you have three and one, and then two and one, and then one and one and one and one. Oh, the Kohen, the the. Three and one, two and one, one and one. Is that is that the order of the sprinkling of the bread in Yom Kippur? Doesn't it start with the highest number and go down? I, the truth is, I don't remember. I'm just focusing on calling pages. <laughs> Confession. It's, it's, sort of it's, it's one and one, one and two, one and three. It's right. Upper and lower. Right. Yes. Diane, then we're going to uh, read the verse that actually has a Rashi. Is is it possible that there's either a geographic link to the tribes in Israel once they settled, or mm-hmm. to the arrangement around the um, Mishkan? What I know is that. Um, it, the, the tribes are listed in so many different ways in the Torah. The encampments, the censuses, the sending out to battle, here, the order of the birth, and in nearly every single one they're different. And, 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 um, and this does not match up perfectly with the encampments. The interesting one, whether or not it matches up with the map of the land of Israel, that we'd have to look at. Uh, anyone have a... I don't have an uh, Eitz Chaim in front, of, uh, in front of us. In the map, the back of the Eitz Chaim, there's a map of the tribes. Um, Corey, if you want to flip back and take a look and see if you see any kind of geographic association between Naphtali and Don and God and Asher. Mm. Well, Don is originally above Gaza, and then it's in the north. Yeah. Well, Naphtali, Don, God, and Asher. Yeah, Naphtali and Don are, are neighbors, but God members on this on the east side of the Jordan, and our shares up by um, by the um, Rosh Hanikra. Okay, let's do one more. Ver- oh yes, Larry. Oh, and I don't like this quote. And maybe you said this, or we said this, but this, the order is weird because the first four are in order. Correct. Mm-hmm. Then the Leia children. No. Right. Forget whose children they are for a moment. Right. Then skip to the <clears throat> to the um, fifth verse. 
Don Vanaftali, that's the order. Correct. And then Don Vaasher, right? That's that's the birth order. Then go back to Yisachar Zulon with Binyamin. And obviously, there's no Yosef here. So, <clears throat> I don't understand Cheskuni's comment at all, but he comments on this. <clears throat> but he basically says, because it lists, I think it says, because it lists Leah's children first and not the concubines. Am I reading this correctly? He's Kirkan B'nei HaGvirot Lifnei B'nei HaShvachot. That the Torah says, it mentions the children of the wives before the children of the concubines. Ulafichach, therefore, Hikdimkan Benyamim, Udan. Therefore, Benjamin comes before Dan. Venaftali v'gad v'asher. Sorry, and then ben- Benjamin comes before all those four. Umikomakom, nevertheless, Maskir hagadol katan, but he still mentions the older one before the younger one. Keseder toldotam. If you take Benjamin out, is it exactly in order? By by uh, with the, with the children of the uh, spouses first. It's an it's an well, it's an order if you reverse the ver- change the verses. Yisachar came after Asher. Yeah, but Yisachar is born to whom? It's either Zebulon or Zilpa. I think it's Zilpa. They are listed in order: Leah, Rachel, Bilha, Zilpa. Yeah, the fact that it says, he says that it mentions the children of the wives before the children of the concubines. But Benjamin is. And Benjamin is, the, is, the, is after. Right, so we got the four children of, of Leah. Right. Then Benjamin. But Don and Naphtali are also children of Leah. Uh, no. No, no, no. I think Don and Naphtali, God and Asher are all children of No. God and Asher are Zipa. Don and Naphtali are Bilha, Joseph and Benjamin are Rachel, and everyone else is Leah. So Yisachar okay. and Zulan put before. So they're, so they're That's what's happening. Yes. So Yisachar and Zulan are from Leah, so they get jumped up. Six kids right. of Leah. Schar, Schar, right, right. Uh, six, six of Leah, one of Rachel, and then Leah's children and Rachel, uh, Leah's handmaid's children, Rachel's handmaid children. Mm. Nice. Well done, Chizkuni. Okay. Yes. Where's Dina? Where all the women are. She's the forgotten woman, and that's why we don't count. We're not people. Actually, she didn't get married. I mean, she did, but then they got off the when they were all killed. So, right. Did she come back with them? Did she mention? She she's not mentioned in this list. She's not mentioned in the in the in the story of the sojourn in Egypt because we're because we're going to learn in a. In a one verse, if we ever get to it, that they're all going to die, right? <laughs> um, this clearly is a verse which is laying out not human beings as much as pre-tribes. Yeah, yeah and in the telling of the story, D- D- Dina's narrative is over. Right. She'll get mentioned again in Chronicles, right? But she's not mentioned <laughs> as great. as as one of the of the of the children of Israel. Read children as tribes to be who who descend down into Egypt. Yeah. I was wondering if she's appeared. Not in the book. Not in the in, the, in midrash. I'm sure she's she's hovering. Yeah, Rosemary. Then we're going to read a verse. Just a person. Haven't read a verse yet. I mean, you read a verse, but three verses. Uh, as a child, when I took the Torah first time to read it, the names were very annoying, and it was just pushing me back not to read it because it was dates and names and years. 
But I think pedagogically later on uh, it shows because when you teach like even music, you don't learn a sonata from top to down. You play and you play a part and then you put it together. I think in Torah they do a lot of this with names. So it enters in the head of people. These were the tribes. Yeah. They put wrong different ways, the order. So you learn the names. It's not important the order, it's important the names. I learned from one of my teachers something that I do at almost every wedding that when the ring is about to go on the finger, either direction, let's just imagine a bride going to groom, instead of taking the ring and just starting with hare at Mikodeshet, that the groom should say the bride's name. And the bride should say the groom's name, right? right? Havi, hare at Mikodeshet. David, hare at Mikodesh. Because there is something about invoking the name of the person that you know, that you know the best. The person whose name you know the best is the, per- is the name that therefore means the least because it's so overdone. Invoking it um, awakens something, right? So of course we know, this goes back to Rashi's previous comment, we know that all these people came down to Egypt and the Torah is saying, it's not just that we're beginning a new book, it's that, remember, Ruvain and Shimeon and Yisachar and Levi and Dan, they, they are the ones who wait down. And, 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 and their star is about to, you know, Shine out, which we're going to get to now. Okay, verse um, five, Vayehi. Um, Carol, you want to read? Yeah, remember that the, the Torah's use of the word as nefesh is different than ours. We translate a soul. The, actually, in some ways, the Torah means almost the exact opposite, like person, like body. Every person um, that came out, I do not know what yerech. A thigh. So this is like thigh as in loin, as in um, whom he gave birth to, right? The, 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 who emerged from the loins of Yaakov. Or your loin, it's a single one, but okay. Seventy people, and Joseph was in Egypt. Right. So, by the way, Matt, here's your unnamed Dina, right? So, the Torah does tell us that these were not the only human beings that went down. We're just naming the tribes. And, and then, if you, if, you, if you did the math, it would basically work out that all of those who came down, Yotze, from the, those who emerged from Yaakov's thigh, his... His family tree were seventy people. Um, just remember, a reminder that most of you know nefesh turns into nafesh. It's the same word, but since the second time the word is used, it's an ednachta, a pausal form of that trap. Um, it go, it's like lechem lachem um, eretz aretz, and then Yosef was in Egypt. So, what are some questions or thoughts you might have on the way this verse is constructed? Tova. Um, well, before we even read it, I was wondering about the use of the word nefesh. But uh, as you defined it, it seems like in a way it's emphasizing that these are living beings, living persons. And, and, and then with the reference to who came from the loins of Jacob, it's all very much on this idea of carnal birth and living. And then immediately the next verse is vayama. Mm. So it's almost like it's, it's pointing what's coming. Nice. These, li- these living creatures yeah. went to Egypt? And, and Vayamot. 
Right. And we're going to have two Vayamots, because we're going to have Vayama Yosef, um, and uh, right, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Barry? Well, we just eliminated all those who came down, but all those who came out of the lines of Joseph, you got to, yeah, out of Yaakov, you got to say Joseph, because he, he's out of there also. Mm-hmm. So now, now we have them all, everyone who came out of Yaakov. Right. So are we, do you think that we're, we're <coughs> meant to read the verse? If we didn't do the math, we didn't have an abacus in front of us, do you think that we're meant to believe that Yosef is or is not part of the counting of 70? No. It seems not, right? So that all the people who, um, that we just mentioned, all of the issue, issues of Jacob are 70 people. No. So no. You have to include Yosef. 70 that came with, with Jacob. And one was there. And then there's... Hold, hold on. Hold on, folks. What the verse seems to say is that all those people who issued from Jacob are 70, and that it seems to suggest that, and, and Yosef was in Egypt. So the question is, is Yosef, when he was in Egypt, which you already knew, and is part of the 70, or is Yosef was in Egypt and is in addition to the 70? The reason I'm raising is that they're all, they're interesting calculations that Rashi does not bring in the Midrashim. Some of them, inc- some of them find a way, there's always a way in, in math, to find a way to say that Yosef was, was of the 70, and there's some that find the way to say that Yosef is in addition to the 70. Because the verse isn't clear. The verse does not say all those who came down with, with Jacob are 70, but all those who emerged from Jacob's loin are 70. And then there's, there's even a question in the sub-Midrashim about whether or not Jacob is one of the 70. Yeah? With this simple change in translation, I think it's clear. The, the Vah at the beginning, which is untranslated in mind. <clears throat> by Yehid, right? Yeah, and it so, was. Yeah. But my translation doesn't have, and it was, yeah. or any other translation. I choose the vat to be a vat. But the total number of persons were Jacob, Jacob's issue came to 70. How do you get that? Because Joseph was already in Egypt. Mm-hmm. So he was counted, and it's in fact clarifying for you uh-huh. that you shouldn't think that only the ones that came down are counted in the 70. Interesting. Uh-huh. Rick, and then um, <coughs> Larry, Alan? Silverman has included Joseph, and it's in italics. Should we read the sentence out loud? And all the souls that came out yeah. of the fight of Jacob wore seven souls, and then a colon including, in italics, Joseph, who wasn't Egypt. So he's clearly going on the side that Yosef is counted the 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everett Fox, so all the persons, comma, the commas are so important, so all the persons, comma, those issuing from Yaakov's loins, comma, interesting that he turns loin into a plural, were 70 persons, comma, dash, Yosef was, parentheses, already, and parentheses, in Egypt. <laughs> right, so every, every translator is trying so hard to make their translation match the Hebrew word, but also convey what's important to convey. Alan? Yeah. I would think that it somehow would be, that would be in addition to, that he's not, that Joseph is not included in the 70. And I guess because as we talk about at the very beginning, it says, the Elish that these are the people that came from, from Egypt, if they're going to do that, then they list all these other names of people that are there, and those people refer to the loins, and then it says, but Joseph was, was in Egypt, and that, I think that, that supports it to say there was an addition to those who came before him. Right. 
Or the other way we just read it. That and, and if you're and if you're doing the math reader and you're saying, well, wait a second, it's only only sixty nine because you met, you counted up all their children. Remember that Yosef was already in Egypt and he counts in the seventy. It, Sue it, and then Matt. Sixty seven because it includes his own sons. Right, Sue and Matt. Well, uh, it's just that Joseph is different. Um, he's not one of the tribes. He's not counted in the brothers all the time exactly. He's separate. He's been separate since he was a little kid and they threw him in the pit. Joseph was different. I think it just speaks to that. The, and then there's Joseph. That I think that's the important point. Hmm. That 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 he that he was that he was different. So you're saying that the verse would be could be adding it. Not to deal with the math, but just to set Joseph apart in the story. And, and, and when we get to Rashi in a few minutes, Rashi's going to be totally disinterested in the math of it and more interested in the other version of, but we already know this information, right? So far, what Rashi has said in the book of Shemot is the book of Shemot is not telling us anything we don't know. So therefore, what... I see your hand. So, tell, um, so, um, so therefore, we have to figure out what meaning we're supposed to squeeze out of it because it's not new data. And he's going to do that with Yosef also. Does anyone have a comment? Matt. <laughs> this may be what Rashi is going to say, but on, in 46a, he lists everybody of Genesis, of Rashi. Right. And what's the number? And it says 66 persons in all at the end. Right. And then it says, and the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. And all the persons of the household were 70. Uh, so yeah, the note is what's interesting. It says, it's just a number. And the traditional commentators resort to interpretive acrobatics in order to make the list come out exactly to 70, debating as to whether Jacob himself should be included, whether Joseph and his sons are part of the sum, and so forth. In right. Fact, the insistence on 70 vividly illustrates the biblical use of numbers as symbolic approximations rather than as a medically precise measure. Right. So it's those acrobatics that I was like making reference to. It didn't necessarily want us to go like down the the the, 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 the rabbit hole there. But be, the, the way to reconcile that 66 plus this 70, exclude or include Yosef, exclude or include Yosef's sons, exclude or include Jacob. And of course, seventy is an iconic number, right? So you know, there, there. Not every number in the Torah is iconic, but some are. And then, even in a pre-decimal era, the the or um, if seven is an iconic number, then then seventy becomes also. And if four is an iconic number, then so does forty in some way. So it's 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 probably not a coincidence that this number is not eighty-one. It's seventy. Sense of completion. Yeah, Stevie. Yeah, well, it seems just it's a continuation of the first, you know, four verses that it says these are the names of the people uh, of of the, you know, of the sons who you know came down to Egypt, and it lists eleven, and it says, oh, and the twelfth one we're also naming because mm. he's all, oh you didn't come in the first list because he's mm. already there. Got it. It's all right, but but he, he came. Leonard, mm-hmm. he came earlier. I, I was just wondering what. Side to Gaona singer. It's a very short note, but I don't understand any of it. <laughs> so, Vi Yosef, this is top right in our books, Vi Yosef and Joseph. He says, Im Yosef Shahaya, with Joseph who already was there. I think he's, he is leaning in, he, I think he's siding with the 70 includes Joseph. This list is 70, as long as you include Joseph who is already there. Okay, what about the slug? 
Chut Hashidra. The Shidra is the spine. So some 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 nerve or something that goes off from the spine. I don't know why. I don't know why it's significant to him. Well, he's trying to explain error. Right. And not to dwell on it, but his screen has a really interesting comment on error. Let's first go to the Rashi because this is primarily a Rashi. Alexandra, last comment before the Rashi. Here are the nefeshes, and then here's Yosef. Yeah. Okay, hold that. Carol, read the Rashi, please. Mm-hmm. Question mark. Okay, so try to translate. It's hard to know exactly how to kind of punctuate these two phrases. I, I think it's something like, and, and behold, meaning, and we know, because Rashi is going to side on the side that they're included in the 70, that Joseph and his sons are in the klal, in the, the, the accounting, in the, in the totality of the 70. And since we know that, uma balalamdenu, what, what's the point? What's the point of these three words? Now, again, some of you have already answered this question, so sometimes it's frustrating to read. I, we do it in this order intentionally, but we, Rashi asks a question, and we're thinking in our minds, oh, I, there's an answer to that. We've already answered some possibilities as to why it's there. Right. But we answered what was a question. Right? So Rashi is asking a question that we may have an answer to, so our minds have resolved it, but he's saying, I'm still curious. What are those three words adding? The chilo? Question mark? That's another question. What are these three worth telling us? We know from the passage that Matt mentioned how we get to 70. We know that he and his children are, are included. And we know he's in Egypt. Did we, did we not know that he was in Egypt? So if you break it down, it's like the fresh fish sold here daily joke. What do we need to be learning from, and Joseph was in Egypt? Okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just pause there for a second. It's an interesting um, uh, grammatical comment on Rashi. Usually, Rashi in the Talmud uses Lahodienu to teach us. Rashi's like turning, he says it you, to teach you. It, it, it doesn't really change the meaning, but it's, it's, a, it's an uncommon way of Rashi using this notion of what does this come to teach us. Mm-hmm. It, he, most times he would say, El this comes to teach us, but it's as if he's addressing the reader. This verse is coming to teach you. I don't know why he does that there, hmm. but it's interesting to mention. It. It's, not, it's not common. To, to teach you what? What is it coming to teach you? This, these three words tell us something significant about Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef the righteous one. And by the Yosef HaTzadik is a, is a common midrashic phrase. 
the righteous Yosef. Rick, you have a question on this? Um, just a little embellishment on it. Um, when Abraham comes uh, to Canaan, he takes souls with him. He takes that was the people that he converted Correct. he and Sarah took with so um, along the lines of being righteous already he, was, he already had the righteousness there he, he didn't need to be included with the other ones I don't know Pause. We're, and and we, we have to now um, think, and we could pause here if you haven't read ahead and say, in what way do these three words suggest anything about Yosef's righteousness? Anyone who has not read ahead, if we know that Rashi is about to tell us that these three words, which seem extraneous on a data level as to why Joseph was in Egypt, if you haven't read his answer yet, in what way could the phrase, and Joseph was in Egypt, be a praise of Joseph? Again, uh, Sue and then Barrett, yeah. Sorry, Egypt was um, experiencing, you know, was flourishing at the time. It's kind of a reminder that Joseph was there ah. in charge of the great bounty. So, so one way, it's not what Rashi is going to say, but wonderful, right? So, and, and, and remember, reader, that Joseph was in Egypt. Joseph was Egypt. Egypt would be nothing without Joseph. And we, in order to understand the next few verses of the, st- of the story, particularly what the new king is going to forget about Joseph, we are reminded, and Joseph was in Egypt. Not, not numerically, we know that, but, but in order to set up the story, we're being reminded of that. Vera, what else? How could be a praise of Joseph? <laughs> I wanted to say that there is a very short history of what happened in those wars because they all were a family but in this family one was in Egypt uh-huh. and that one that was in Egypt was part of this family but something awful happened to him and despite of all of that there was no animosity between all those people and this is why Yosef is in uh-huh. and he forgave all his brother what happened. It could have been different to the history. Great. So the three words retell the whole story from oh, Parshat by Yeshev. And remember, Joseph got to Egypt earlier. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, I don't know why I'm reminded of this, maybe because... Lev's going to be in, in uh, Fiddle on the Roof this coming week and, and, and the writing of that is so beautiful that scene at the end that terrible awful scene when, um, when, when they're packing up on Atafka and Tevye says something about uh, we'll, 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 we'll be with our children later something like that and Golda says not all of them and Tevye says all of them so not all of them all of them seven words and the whole Chava narrative is just brought back they don't have to mention it not all of them all of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Joseph was in Egypt. Beautiful possibility. Mm-hmm. Marshall. Actually, in the source, which Rashi doesn't quote exactly, uh, in Sipre, it says, Yosef Wait, hold on. So let's actually, before we do that, let's actually give Carol a chance to read that in the Rashi. So, Carol. So, so now we, we know that Rashi is going to read these three words as a praise of Yosef. We've put several other w- possibilities on the table as to how it could be. What? Uh, Rashi's answer, quoting from the Sifre, yes? And I would pause and say, if we were going to translate this with English colloquialism, we'd say, the same Joseph. Yes, yeah. 
Who of a who? It doesn't come out in Hebrew, he and he. The, the very same Joseph who was with his brothers and, and, and pasturing his father's sheep, that's the same Joseph that became king, okay? Yeah, what does that phrase mean? We know that what the words mean. He stood in his tzedek. He stood in his righteousness. What does that mean? He was firm in his righteousness. He was firm. He maintained it, right? Whatever we think of Yosef as a young boy, interesting parentheses, we don't actually think that much of Yosef as a young boy because the story somewhat also blames him for it. But Rashi's somehow doing a hagiography of Yosef as a young boy, that very same beautiful young boy who loved his father, he, and, and, and he was righteous, and he didn't do anything wrong, he's the same Joseph who went into Egypt and stayed that way. It's also a precursor to the Midrash team that we'll talk about how the Israelites preserved their name and their identity while they were in Egypt. It's also, by the way, um, Purim appropriate, because the first, you know, the first ten pages of Masachat Megillah, the tractate of Megillah, after it deals with the, the dating of what days you could read the Megillah, read verse after verse after verse in the Megillah to show how Esther and Mordechai were the firmest Jews who ever lived, and Esther kept kashrut in the in the palace, and she certainly kept the laws of mikvah, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So Yosef, this, this perfect yid, somehow it was able to hold on to his righteousness even in Egypt. Diane, we'll go around the table. So I don't. Maybe this is. Obvious. I've never thought about it before, but this makes it really obvious. There's a, a strong parallel between Yosef and Moshe. Uh-huh. Because they both started in humble Jewish beginnings, Hebrew beginnings, rose to high rank in, in Pharaoh's palace, yeah. maintained their identity somehow and their righteousness. One of the best lectures I ever heard was from uh, uh, Micha Goodman, one of my teachers at Hartman, who also did a phenomenal shiur at APEC was a lecture on, on, on Joseph, Moshe, and Daniel. Oh, yeah. we, we, we know very little about Daniel, meaning that the common Jew has never studied Daniel through that in the original. The Aramaic is so hard. It seems like a forgotten story, but Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's court, Yosef in Pharaoh's court, and Moshe's role, and their, ro- and their role is in either saving or not saving the Jewish people. Some people read the book of Daniel actually as a critique of Daniel, who was... At, could have been as powerful to, ne- to Nebuchadnezzar as Moshe was to Pharaoh, and 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 didn't didn't save the Jews, but yeah. So th- those two are associated, and, and some people add Daniel on also. Let's go around Stevie, then Marshall, and then Barry. Yeah, what strikes me is the phrase "roed son aviv" as opposed to "roed et achav which is the the verse from right Toldo. Right. So just um, say that in English for people who don't get the references. So, so in the Vayesha, by the way. Yes, yes. Uh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, right. so, it's, yes. A, it's a laning battle. We're just, yeah, laying, yeah, we're yeah, just yeah. We're laning in our heads. Okay, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, when Joseph is introduced in Genesis, it says that he was a shepherd of his brothers. Or with his brothers. Or with his brothers. Right. Assistant shepherd. But, it's, but the, the object of his shepherding is his right is his brothers with their flocks right um, and here Rashi is saying he is a shepherd of the flocks of his father yeah which is a much more I don't know benign <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. image 
what, what Stevie's playing with, we've discussed this before, the, Hebrew, the biblical word et means more than it means in modern Hebrew. In modern Hebrew, et only means direct object. It only invites the direct object. Tainly et ha-sefer, give me the book. In biblical Hebrew, et can either mean that or it can mean the word with. Um, et ha-elohim hitalech noach. Noah walked himself with God. He didn't walk God on a leash. Was with right. And the modern Hebrew that you—it's not a, it's a declension, not a conjugation. With you, with me, itcha, itchem, iti is built from the word et, not the word im. Right? We don't decline im in modern Hebrew. Imcha, imi, or they do in biblical Hebrew. So, the word et in the first line of the Joseph story seems to be the word with. Ro'et echav batzon. He seems to mean. He shepherded with his brothers the sheep. It's also possible to read it as he was shepherding his brothers, he's already leading them. But the pshat seems to be he was shepherding et with his brothers. Here when Rashi makes a reference to it, an oblique reference to it, the, someone who's laying that verse many, many times, hears a different use of the word et. Here it's clear, Yosef Haroe, who shepherded et tzon, direct object, the um, the yeah. the sheet the flock of his father so it could be nothing Rashi just just it's just the word et but if you know that verse in Vayeshev it's a different use of the word et uh, Marshall Barry I see him at okay so in the Sifre itself so Yosef Haya et Son so does not say Haroet so Joseph shepherded the flock of his father and then a word which is missing from the Rashi itself is Mm-hmm. Even though uh, Great. I want to linger on that just for a minute on the methodology that occasionally we dip into. Rashi knows the Midrash by heart. He doesn't need Safaria. <laughs> and somehow he knows that, and, and, it, what, and it's prescient in his part. Right? People read Rashi more than they read Ramban. You know why? Because Ramban goes on and on and on and on, and, 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 he, and, and he includes all the philosophy that's informing his text, and it's fascinating. But you don't read, you don't, you don't, people don't know it, the commentary nearly as well. Rashi wanted his commentaries to be precise and very concise, which means that when he's culling from the Midrashim, he's taking out intensifiers sometimes, the AFLP, and, and trying to preserve the basic meaning of the Midrash, or he's, he's actually um, eliding two Midrashim, combining them together and turning them into one. So the AFLP and the Midrash, and Midrash is long. Midrash is hard, it's hard to learn a Midrash because there's a lot of steps to it. Rashi sometimes just pulling out the extract, right? So it, it is the same sense of what that would have meant in the Sifri, but it's a little bit softer without that even though, right? And we, the reader, that have to like reconstruct it in our mind. It's like it's like taking all this material, like contracting it, right, and then ha- and then it has to expand again in our consciousness, right. We're we're putting the words back in, but it might not end up being the same words of the midrash men because we're doing midrash as we're reading Rashi, we're creating midrash again. So so that's a wonderful co- um, uh, comparison. The sifrei is oh, and also the sifrei. If you look at um, our footnote six here, there's something interesting. Sorry, footnote four on our in our book. It's from Sifrei, which is a book of Midrash. On what book of the Torah? Deuteronomy. And we're in Shmot. It's on Sifrei Ha'azinu. What happens in the book in Parshat Ha'azinu? All of the 
the praises of, um, of the tribes of Israel, right, which um, kind of um, in poetry form, before we get to the actual lists of the tribes of Zorabracha, somehow in Ha'azino they're talking about Yosef, and Rashi is quoting a Midrash from there, not even from a Midrash on the book of Rashi. Matt Barry, or Barry Matt. Tell me if this is relevant or not. I, mean, I found the Midrash about Tina, which is sort of related to the 70s. Share it. <laughs> Okay, she apparently bore a child, and the child was uh, Osnat, which somehow ended up getting down to Egypt, looking for work or whatever, and ended up in Pokepar's house. Right. And then for Joseph's daughter and married her, and so she's the mother of the prime of the Yes. So, in that midrash, Joseph marries his niece? Yeah. Well, there's other stories, but that's... Yeah. Yeah. Osnat. Barry. Yeah. So, two comments. One, this position of, of Joseph to the king, uh, Moshe to the king, um, it's, it's a theme throughout our Jewish history, throughout our Gilutim. We've always had a Joseph who has been next to the king, giving advice and protecting him. It's a key theme in our history. The other is... Um, uh, um, if it comes back, Barry, I want to hear it. Rosemary. Um, I think this uh, sentence takes us back to the beginning that we were talking where Joseph was separate. The aim of this life in uh, some religions also, they think uh, you have to perfect yourself, your soul, to not come back anymore. And it shows that Joseph, in a way, as much as we know, he has respected most of the points of Ten Commandments. So he didn't need to come back. But the 70 people, which uh, the people were, the brothers who are mentioned at the beginning, their descendants are going to repeat, come back, mm. come back, till they go to Sinai to mm. receive Ten Commandments. And maybe that's what we are aiming to become well and in Israel. And that's, I think, what Joseph wanted his body to be taken to Israel, hmm. because he was perfect already. Amen. Barry, do you remember it? I got it. It's, Good. A, it's just deep down the other side. From, from, from Zohar, uh, what's happened to Joseph in, in, in Egypt uh, is a huge amount of stuff uh, focused on his righteousness that by, by protecting his side of circumcision from the advances of um, the, the, the wife, that uh, he, he's, he's raised up to the level of Yesod. And the, the, the level of Yesod, uh, he's in the higher sphere of now. And he's creating a structure now from which then he's the protector of the, the souls that are coming in the future. Wonderful. Mm. Let's keep going. Joel, verse 6, Vayamot, Kamat Katan. Finally. <laughs> Not finally he died, finally information that is new, right? This is the first verse of the book of Shemot, and we're at verse 6, that is telling us something, the reader, that if we were reading this for the first time, we wouldn't know, right? We, we found meaning in some of the extraneousness so far, but now the story, this is the first place where the story actually moves forward, okay, and it moves forward with the death. And, by the way, it's only half new, 
We knew that he died. What we didn't know is that the generation died with him. Right. We know that he's dead. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else on, on that verse that we want to linger on? Why do they, I mean, if you want to be real sparing, it could simply have said by that the whole, and that generation died. Right. So, so therefore the extra piece could be, could be named as V'cholechav, right? So Joseph died, we knew it. V'cholechav, like we didn't know. And the entire generation, what um, Tova's saying is that it could have been V'yamot Yosef V'chol Hador Hahu, and we would have known that his brothers died. So it's interesting that the brother's, de- the brother's death, not name by name, but the brother's death get mentioned. Comments, questions on that? Barry, then Sue? Sudapigrapha. Sudapigrapha. Uh, all, all of the sons, including Yosef, give their last will and testament. And in there, they all have their aged. Yosef is the youngest one to die. Not the first, but the youngest. The, the, the first to die. The first. So that they all survived. Yeah. Well, I mean, that seems to be implied in the book of Breshit, right? Yeah. That that Joseph dies. We haven't learned of Issachar Zulun's death. Something tells us that we would have learned of it, and it's almost implied that they're part of his burial by Yisim Ba'aron, that he's placed into that into that coffin. He and all of the Jewish people placed into that coffin in Egypt. They put him in the pit. They put him in the grave. Yeah, hmm. that's right. That up down. Uh, Sue, you're going to say something. The Pseudepigrapha is a collection of ancient writings that did not make it into the Bible. The Book of Maccabees, um, the Book of Maccabees, in there. Um, no, no, no. Maccabees might be in the. No, it's, it's in the, in the it's in the Catholic Bible. Yeah, but it's it's this another um, there's another collection. It's it, it's right. It's, is it Maccabees and Apocrypha or Pseudepigrapha? Apocrypha. Okay, so it's collections of writings that are related to the ancient Jewish and also the ancient Greek world that, that have some overlap with um, biblical material but is not in the Bible and it's not even like it, it's considered like below the Apocrypha but in terms of um, its, its potential sanctity yeah. okay, and I think the book of Judith is in there right? that story of uh, interesting story of, of, of uh, Hanukkah no? not Pseudepigrapha? I think that piece 3 and 4 but not 1 and yeah Sue I was going to say the fact that says the Holocaust I like that it says the Holocaust because if it wasn't there, not that it wouldn't be clear, but there's something about we started we started the whole parsha with the whole list. We ended the last book with we're gonna we're gonna count you poked poked whatever that right whatever that was right and and then we name them and we look at them and we think about them and he he was separate from them but he was there too and now. He and all of them are gone. I mm. think it just makes the right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it almost would have been satisfying had the had the trump put an etnachta in this verse. This verse has no etnachta. Right. Very, 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 very few verses have no etnachta. Yeah. Right? It, like it almost would have felt better <laughs> if it was so Joseph and all of his brothers died and everyone else was alive I think you're going to say something about it Larry exactly about that okay. but I want to give credit to Cheskuni I don't know why it is I'm focusing on him <laughs> so, after we finish the book of to- the Torah Rashi we're going to do a Cheskuni class all right, all right. sign um, up 2049 Okay. he says and I think it makes perfect sense so, yeah, Yosef and his brothers and his household died, and the entire generation, not only Yaakov's family, 
everyone, all the Egyptians died, is preparing us for what's coming next. Mm. Don't think beyond the family of Yaakov and Yosef. Right. So, that, so I'll tell you why that's doubly interesting. So, um, the Chizkuni, if, on, is, uh, if you're in our book, is the fourth one down on the right on page Gimel. And he says, V'chol hadorahu, bein Yisrael, whether Israelites, bein goyim, whether other non-Jews, like Mili, enough time has passed that no one is there anymore. Kidichtiv acharav, Yaakov melech as says, um, a new king arose over, over, over Egypt. Rashi doesn't go there, because what Rashi is going to say on that verse, not to give too much away, is that it may have been the same king. Right, so, so Rashi does not want to read this as saying that so much time has passed, it's like 200 years later. Rashi wants to read this as saying that when we learn about the beginnings of slavery, it might not have been that much later. And, that's, and that could be, his not saying that allows him to bring down the Midrash he's going to bring in verse 8. Okay, Alexandra. Uh, I'm, I'm Yeah, and maybe that this notion that they died after him suggests that they were taken care of. Yeah. Rashi's quiet on the verse, and maybe we now have figured out why he's quiet. He doesn't say anything on it, but he does say something interesting on the next verse. Um, because we have different Rashi's around the table, there's a part of the next Rashi that is only in some versions. So we, we, even if we read the Rashi, you, might, you may not all have it. Um, Carol, you were reading, so you want to read another verse? No, Joel was reading. Who was reading? Joel. And the children of Israel were fruitful and they reproduced and they got big and they got strong very, very much and they filled the land and the land was filled with them. Good. And if we slow down the translation a bit, although you translated it really well, right? Paru from the root word peresh. Um, Fruitful, like pre, right? Yishritsu from the word that means sheretz. Sheretz is usually not a good word in Hebrew. It's a creepy crawly thing. Things that swarm. Right? It's almost, almost describing the, the, what the Israelites did from the perspective of the Egyptians, right? Vayirbu, so that's the other half of pru or vu. They were fruitful. So much so that they swarmed, <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. They became many, and it not just qual- quantity, but also vayatzmu. They became mighty, mighty right? So, so those four verbs are really interesting, particularly as you think about how uh, how, how much time the, the Torah and the Talmud is, the Talmud is going to deal with the verbs about them leaving Egypt, right? Those four ways that God is going to redeem them become the four cups of wine, everything, right? So he's another. Uh, quadruple quad of verbs describing the Israelites becoming the people who are going to be enslaved and each of them tells something a little bit different right started to have children so much so they swarmed they became many and they became strong right not just synonyms is that Andrew's hand yeah it's almost like it's this xenophobic viewpoint of the Egyptians and how they would be looking yes. at the Israelites in their multiplication it wasn't just like oh there are many they're just taking over. Right. Or, or you can even play it A, B, A, B, right, where the A is, is, the, is, the, is the Torah and the B is the commentary of the Egyptians, right? They, they, they started to give birth. They swarmed. They became many. They got so strong, right, as if there's an interpolation of the interpretation. 
Rick, hands. The hands are swarming. Rick and then Elon. Then or Elon today. And we weren't everywhere. We were just in the right. ocean, right? So the, the focus on them thinking that we're everywhere, I mean, it was... The newcomers taking over is a common human concern even in 2020, right? Elon. So why did the Great. Right, sorry. So we, we dealt with the four verbs, um, and um, the Ma'od Ma'od references the um, um, one no would have been sufficient, sir, story, right? If you all know that story, I've told it too many times, Matt will not let me tell it again. But um, they did it, Bim'od. It's not, it's not like Jacob? No. It's a good one. No. It's not like Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> it's the story about... In the, <laughs> I told it so many times. In the early 20th century, there was some list of the most influential and greatest Jews alive, and there's an apocryphal, not a pseudepigraphal, an apocryphal story <laughs> between um, Sigmund Freud and... Um, I always forget if it's Stephen S. Wise or Isaac Mayer Wise, whichever one of them was thought to have been more of an egotistical leader. And, um, and um, uh, Sigmund Freud says to Dr. Wise, Dr. Wise, uh, you know, do you expect uh, your name to be on this list? And Dr. Wise says, me? Oh, no, 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 no. And Freud says, Dr. Wise, one no would have been sufficient, <laughs> right? So that one ma'od would have been enough. So what Elon is saying is, after the four verbs, not only ma'od, not only did they do many, but many, many, much, much. Ma'od is actually very hard to translate into English. Do we ever have other ma'od ma'ods? Uh, other ma'od ma'ods. Um, I have to check out concordance. I was I was once at a wedding when I was in yeshiva, my junior of college, and um, we went. The, the, one of the yeshiva buckers was older than us. Went was getting married in, in Jerusalem, and it, and the person who was getting married was from a, a very wealthy family and very well connected family, and invited all the yeshiva buckers to come to the wedding. So. You know, it's the time we, we we would have driven four hours to get a free meal, right? So we we hopped, we hopped in the bus. We the wedding was at the old. Um, it was at the time it was the uh, Holiday Holiday and Crown Plaza, one of the hotels in the entrance Jerusalem, not downtown. I can picture every detail of it. The the the, the Rebbe was still alive, Schneerson, and the family was very very connected to Chabad, were big donors. So the Rebbe sent an emissary to this wedding, not himself, and in, in the um, Sheva brachot after the meal, right? Everyone's sitting around. You, you do a repeat of the Shevan blessings at Birkat Hamazon in traditional weddings. And the emissary of the, of the Rebbe got the fourth or fifth bracha. And normally it's done. You bench, and then, next one, and it's passed around. He gets the cup. And he starts giving a Dvar Torah. <laughs> he gives a, a, a ten-minute Dvar Torah before he says his blessing. And, I, and I'm telling you, this was his punchline word for word at the end of his Dvar Torah. So you see, it's not just that we want Mashiach now. We want Mashiach mamish, mamish now. That was his. That was his insight, and then he did the fourth blessing. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not just now. You thought we wanted Mashiach now? Mm-mm. It's mamish, mamish now. Right? <laughs> so that reminds me of bimod Mimod, Right? Mm-hmm. It's not just that they became many and they sworn, but they did it maod maod, many many much much. Right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, Everfox translates it as, yet the children of Israel bore fruit. They, uh, he, that yet is very interesting. He adds a yet here. Everybody died, and yet, he adds a yet, yet the children of Israel bore fruit, they swarmed, they became many, they grew mighty, he puts ad, adds in the words in number, I disagree with that, and then he adds a dash, exceedingly, yes, exceedingly, hmm. the land filled up with them. No, so, he gets the yet from the vav. Right, right the vav ha, ha not the vav, not the vav, the vav ha, for the name of it, the other vav. And my translation says, but, but. Mm. and I'm going to go back to my but before, so yeah. there's some justification for yeah. Elon, you asked the question. Do you any uh, your reactions to your own question? Any thoughts on what the doubling is? Other than the Torah never puts in any extraneous words, but when one reads it, one says, "Okay, very actually." It, it always, always uh, when somebody says, "Oh, this is a very important person," I go, "It's really true." No, no, but, but to me, it's like very important is no different than very, very important. It's it's. It's the same. Right. So there that, must be there it. must be some reason that they repeat the <coughs> word. Somebody must have some idea why this actual word is relevant or necessary. Right. I think that it also anticipates that there's there's two kinds of increase. Like you say, mighty doesn't mean just numerous. They became numerous and strong and you know, there were two big scrapping fellows, the guys and the gals. Yeah. But if they just said Harry, they wouldn't it gets it. It's very it's like when somebody says, Oh, I'm giving hundred and ten percent. What does that mean? Does he name it? Right. It's it, that that's right. The second very to me means nothing. Right. So there must be some meaning. It's it's it, what second it, it's it, not merely very numerous. Or very strong. They were both very numerous and very strong. It might be an adverbial version of the verbal v'hayayim shamoa tishmau, which we sometimes you see translated as verily, don't just listen, but listen muchly muchly, right? Um, or it might be um, you know, we sometimes in our love of reading the text so closely give don't give the Torah the right to have its own poetic language because the, the midrash appreciates the poetic language, but then unpoeticizes it to make it meaningful, which means that sometimes it's just, it's just been doubled. Um, and it, uh, your comment, Elon, reminds me of the way that we use the word quite in English. Right? That we use the word quite, you know, it, it was quite tasty. Well, how is that different than it was tasty? How was your trip? Oh, it was quite good. Right? We, we use it and we think it means something, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. So sometimes words have no meaning. Meaning. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.